0: You are listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to
1: redchurch.org.au. Good morning, church.
0: There's a few here, I think. Good morning. Morning, yeah, great, excellent. My name's Brittany, I am actually the PM pastor here at Red, Um, if I haven't met you before, it's nice to meet you this morning. Um, Really, Excited to be back at Red after having a couple of weeks off. Um, January is such a great time of year. It's beautiful outside today. I love kind of the feel of January. We've kind of a lot of us have maybe gone back to work, but it's a little bit, a little bit more cruisy. Um, we're still doing our jobs, of course. But because of the sun, it's like, oh let's go out for a drink after work. Or let's go to the park or maybe the beach. I'm loving it. I've been to the beach in the last three weeks. So many times, and I hope you guys are enjoying January as well. There's something really unique about it. Um, We do actually just get that opportunity to slow down, um, and it's really powerful. I don't know about you, but in this time when there's space to kind of just do whatever and think about a few things, there's a couple of questions that often arise, um, I find, in this time, and I wonder if it's the same for you. I come to think about what this year is going to hold. I think people often do this with their New Year's resolutions. I know there's some diligent people, it's the 1st of January and they've got their notebook out ready. Like, right, these are my resolutions, this is what it's gonna look like. But I think what actually pushes it is this deeper question that we all have as humans, um, which is, am I actually living a good life? Am I living my best life? Um, Am I at my best? Am I embracing all the opportunities I have? That kind of just circulates through January, I feel. Like it's not something that someone will directly ask you, but it's in the back of your mind. And the second one to that is actually, am I truly a good person? Again, it might not be that direct, but these things kind of just sit around to be like, oh, as I I look into this year, or even as I reflect on last year, what's my life looking like and how can it change? How can it be better? Or what's God teaching me in that? These are actually the major questions that we constantly have um, throughout the year. But I find, and I hope I'm not alone in this, I assume I'm not, that I'm like, well, what's the framework? How do I do this? What is my life meant to look like? Who's doing well in life? Who can I look to? We're hungry for that. And I feel like this summer, God revealed a little bit more to me what that looks like. I um, actually don't go on many holidays. I didn't do that as a child, so I'm actually not very good at booking them in. (laughs) I kind of forget about them. But this year, um, I had the privilege of going for a week um, up to Sydney, which was really lovely, and I was like, yes, get to actually slow down in a different city, um, get to do a whole bunch of different things, I love adventuring, so I went to the Blue Mountains, and yeah, it was great. Um, and when you go for a holiday, I think there's this expectation, it's like, I'm going to do all my resting there, i want to come back and be ready for the year, um, and I just feel like God was like, actually, I'm going to teach you something completely different, um, And I love the fact that God is just always at work in our lives. There isn't a time where he isn't speaking or moving. And as I um, began my holiday, I actually wasn't good at just kind of waking up and having nothing to do. Does anyone else have that struggle? Yeah, we're really good at routine. And then when it's not there, you think it's this ultimate freedom and you're like, "Oh, actually, uh, uh, uh." there's a bit of anxiety that came along with that. How am I going to do this? What is this day going to look like? And God kind of highlighted to me that actually I often wake up that way. I wake up and I'm immediately anxious. It's something that I think is residue from some of the stuff i struggled with earlier on um, in the past few years, which I've shared before. And so I kind of wake with this anxiousness, and I felt like God was saying or inviting me in this holiday to change that. I actually found a journal entry um, from a little bit before I went away, and this is what he said to me. He said, it is time to say goodbye to those lies to those thoughts that can come, which taste different to the truth, which do not lead to life, which reinforce old ways and old perspectives. I was like, oh, that's quite a challenge. A real invitation though is like, I want you to wake in the morning, not immediately going, well, those lies are true, so I'm gonna feel fear. Actually, I want you to wake trusting that I am God, that I love you, and that whatever comes today, you'll be okay. And I was like, oh. Wow, I love that you're always speaking, God. Even when I'm on holiday and resting, you want more. There's more to come. And that's what he's doing all the time with all of us. I'm sure he's speaking to you. He's constantly reeling himself. He wants to recreate us and restore us. That's his plan for creation. He's doing that all the time. I like the way Ryan said it um, a couple of weeks ago when he said, God loves you too much to leave you where you are. And so I was really thankful for this little thing that God invited me into. Because I tell you what, when I woke and was like, okay, I know the routine's usually anxiety, but I'm gonna believe in you, that you are God. My day was completely different. I actually could rest. Irrelevant of what I was doing, whether I was sitting on a beach or whatever it looked like, taking a phone call that was difficult. I actually felt rested. He always wants what's best for us. He wants us to live a good life and he wants to help us work that out to navigate that. He provides us with a framework about what the good life is, offering us wisdom to live by, to anchor our lives. So what does a good life look like? Well, I wanted to look at Psalm 1 as a um, really good example to kind of dive into that question. So I'll get you to get your Bibles out. If you're doing the Pew Bibles, it's on page 374. Psalm 1, Old Testament. I am going to have it up on the screen as well, if I turn this, Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the spirit or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked; they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment; will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So what does a blessed or good life look like? Someone who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night and chooses not to spend time acknowledging, walking in, um, as it says here, the ways that sinners take, or sitting in the company of mockers. What does this actually mean, though? It's quite metaphorical language. It talks about a tree being planted by streams of living water. And I think for us to fully understand and appreciate this psalm, and actually what the psalms are, it takes... We need to take some time to actually consider this book as a whole and work out what God is actually communicating to us through it. The um, ancient tradition of the Jewish people actually divided the Old Testament um, into four, three, sorry, um, holy books, three major sections. Um, The first is the Law, which is the Pentateuch, or the Jewish name you may have heard is the Torah. And that's the first five books of the Bible, and they are believed to be written by Moses. The second is the Prophets. So that's, yeah, all the major and minor prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, but then there's Nehemiah in there and all those other ones that you kind of forget the names of because it's one page and it's a convoluted name, but they're in there. (laughs) And then the final sections are the writings, and that's where we find Psalms. And in with Psalms, in this third category, is wisdom material like Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And it just really helps us understand that actually Psalms is quite a unique style of writing and a unique book. It's a collection of songs and poems and prayers. And this collection is from different periods over all of the Old Testament. The book itself was actually brought together, so all these psalms, poems and prayers were brought together after the Babylonian exile. Um, And it was a process that actually took centuries. It's pretty incredible, there's um, 150 psalms, so it's a long time to kind of gather them and put them in order. It's believed to be completed in the third century BC. So, yeah, a little way in. And now there's different authors of Psalms as well. So King David actually has a lot of Psalms um, uh, counted to him. There's the sons of Korah, um, who are also believed to be authors. There's worship leaders who have written some of the Psalms. There's no more descriptor on that. And it's like, okay. Um, Solomon and Moses also have um, their names to some of them, and some of them are actually just anon- anonymous. But yeah, it's this beautiful blend. And these Psalms were sung in the temple in the Old Testament times. There were also prayers that were prayed at home by families. So it's a part of the Old Testament, a part of the ancient people's ways. They're designed to be the prayer book of God's people. Those who are learning to live by God's wisdom, to understand what's that good life look like. But the words in the Psalms are just so rich. It's not just teaching or information. It's not simply just words on a page. They actually are crafted in a particular way. There's a rhythm to them, a momentum. (laughs) You don't just hear the psalms, you feel them. They paint pictures, they tell stories, and they invite you in to be a part of that. They're honest and vulnerable. They're messy, some of them. They're really powerful. And despite all this, it's not as if because of the way they've been formed, they lose any of their wisdom. It's expression of humanity at its best. Dallas Willard says that still today, the Old Testament book of the Psalms gives great power for faith and life. This is simply because it preserves a conceptually rich language about God and our relationships to him. If you bury yourself in Psalms, you emerge knowing God and understanding life. Such an inviting description of the Psalms. They cause us to slow down, to take that time to really sit in the words. And they have this ability, I find, to bypass our minds and speak to our souls. sometimes our souls really need to hear some of the things that are said in the Psalms. And it's not just an effective poetic language. It's not just emotive language that draws you to a particular place or manipulates you. That's definitely not what the Psalms are about. Their impact actually arises because they speak of who God is and life. And we identify with that. Through the Psalms, we learned how to think about God, how to respond to him. We get to enter God's presence by reading the Psalms. They provide a beautiful vocabulary for living Godward. They show us who God is and it expands our hearts and our minds and lifts us, which we need so often in this world we live in. When you read or sing the Psalms, you meet with God and hear the story of his kingdom sung back to you. They're actually written in a way that communicates the story of creation and and what God's up to. And they have an impact on us because that kingdom story is also your story so when you hear them they land because you hear a part of your life in it you identify with it but sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to read because it is this metaphorical language there's imagery throughout it even as we read someone some of it makes sense and some of it's a little confusing or confronting unfortunately this rich, informative, poetic language that is designed to enrich our faith gets a little bit lost on us because it's not really something we use in our culture as much anymore. Unfortunately, in the 18th century, when empiricism and rationalism came in to be popular, this idea of poetic language to instruct, to give wisdom, was no longer valued. Everything that was right, all ideas had to be experienced or had to be rationalised by different um, research or evidence and that's actually what's the undercurrent of our education in the Western world. And so we kind of grow up learning to operate in that way. Unfortunately, none of us have skipped out on this. We've all been shaped by this modern thought. And so sometimes we can miss what actually these communicate to us because we sit And operate in that way. But there's always an invitation to hear it in a new way. And the people that wrote these psalms, they didn't understand what rationalism or empiricism was. They believed that God was everywhere. He was fully present. They wanted to encounter him all the time and they lived their life that way. And so as the authors of these psalms, they invite us to do the same. That's what they speak of. You hear it throughout the Bible. Even as Paul talks about it in Acts, when he says that we live and move and have our being in God. That's what the Psalms communicate. That's what they speak of. It's what Jesus was trying to explain to Nicodemus in John 3, that when you're born from above, you live in a different way. You're designed to be aware of the world around you, the kingdom, to live that out, to speak that out, to believe that God is at work. That's what we're called to live in. And the Psalms speak of that and invite us time and again to hear it, to dwell in that place, to enter it. So I've talked a little bit about the Psalms, but really the best things to do with them is to read them aloud or to hear them. So I'm actually gonna get um, a bunch of people up and they're gonna read through a couple of Psalms. I'm gonna encourage you as they read, I'd love if you would close your eyes, to actually really hear the words for what they are. Let's not be rational right now. <laughs> let's turn down our minds, let's not critique what these things are saying. Let's actually just receive them. Let's let Holy Spirit speak to us through these words. So again, these guys, come on up.
2: The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me out to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you.
3: O Lord, don't punish me angrily for what I've done. Don't let my sin inflame your wrath against me. For the arrows of your conviction have pierced me deeply Your blows have struck my soul and crushed me. Now my body is sick. My health is totally broken because of your anger. And it's all due to my sins. I'm overwhelmed, swamped, and submerged beneath the heavy burden of my guilt. It clings to me and won't let me go. My rotting wounds are a witness against me They are severe and getting worse, reminding me of my failure and folly. I am completely broken because of what I've done. Gloom is all around me. My sins have bent me over to the ground. My inner being is shriveled up, my self-confidence crushed. Sick with fever, I'm left exhausted. Now I'm cold as a corpse, and nothing is left inside me, but great groaning filled with anguish. Lord, you know all my desires and deepest longings. My tears are liquid words, and you can read them all.
2: Let my cry come right into your presence, God. Provide me with the insight that comes only from Your Word. Give my request Your personal attention. Rescue me on the terms of Your promise. That praise cascade off my lips. After all, You've taught me the truth about life, and let Your promises ring from my tongue. Every order You've given is right. Put Your hand out and steady me, since I've chosen to live by Your counsel. I'm homesick, God, for Your salvation. I love it when you show yourself. Invigorate my soul so I can praise you well. Use your decrees to put iron in my soul. And should I wander off like a lost sheep, seek me, I'll recognize the sound of your voice.
1: I waited and waited and waited some more patiently knowing God will come through for me. Then at last he bent down and he listened to my cry. He stooped down to lift me out of danger from the desolate pit I was in, out of the muddy mess I had fallen into. Now he's lifted me up into a firm, secure place and steadied me while I walk along his ascending path. A new song... For a new day rises up in me. Every time I think about how he breaks through for me. Ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth until everyone hears how God has set me free. Many will see his miracles. They will stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. Blessing after blessing comes to those who love and trust the Lord. They will not fall away. For they refuse to listen to the lies of the proud. O Lord our God, no one can compare with you. Such wonderful works and miracles are all found with you. And you think of us all the time with your countless expressions of love far exceeding our expectations. It's not our sacrifices that really move your heart, but offerings, sin offerings. That's not what brings you joy. But when you open my ears and speak deeply to me, I become your willing servant and your prisoner of love for life. So I say, here I am. I'm counting, I'm coming to you as a sacrifice. For in the prophetic scrolls of your book you have written about me i delight to fulfill your will my god for your living words are written on the pages of my heart i tell everyone everywhere the truth of your righteousness and you know i haven't held back in telling the message to all i don't keep it a secret or hide the truth i preach of your faithfulness and kindness reclaiming your extravagant love to the largest crowd I can find. So, Lord, don't hold back your love or withhold your tender mercies from me. Keep me in your truth and let your compassion overflow to me no matter what I face. Evil surrounds me. Problems greater than I can solve come one after another. Without you, I know I can't make it. My sins are so many. I'm so ashamed to lift my face to you, for my guilt grabs me and stings my soul and I am weakened and spent. Please, Lord, come quickly and rescue me. Take pleasure in showing me your favor and restore me. Let all who seek my life be humiliated. Let them be confused and ashamed, God. Let us scatter those who wish me evil. They just want me dead. Scoff at every scoffer and, and cause all of them to be utter failures. Let them be ashamed and horrified by their defeat. But let all who passionately seek you erupt with excitement and joy over what you have done. Let all your lovers rejoice continually in the Saviour saying, how great and glorious is our God. Lord, in my place of weakness and need, I ask again, will you come and help me? I know I'm always in your thoughts. You are my true Saviour and hero. So don't delay to live with me now, for you are my God.
0: I don't know what's going on for you at the moment, but I felt really prompted to have these psalms read out because I believe there are people in this room who needed to hear some of those things from God, to be reminded that he knows us and sees us, to be reminded that he's faithful even when things come time and again at us, that there's a place to be seen and known to find rest It's so good to sit in those Psalms, to hear them read out and over us. Thank you for those who did that. You may have noticed there's actually quite a different variety and style to the Psalms that were read. There's so many within the book of Psalms. It's actually divided up into five different books because there's so many different categories in there. And in your Bibles, if you flick through, you'll see that it does that for you. But these are the chapters that are encompassed in the books. And within them, they're kind of broken down into two themes, which you would have heard as the guys read out. The first category or theme is lament. These psalms are mostly found in the first three books. And lament is something we don't really talk about in our modern times. It's not something we really, yeah, know or maybe have participated in before. But lament is actually a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Andy's psalm was a lament. It was a heavy-weightedness, a crying out to God, a real honest appraisal of what's going on in their world and the need for who God is, and also an honest appraisal of what they've done in their lives and their place before God. They express pain, confusion, how horrible the world can be, because let's face it, we live in a pretty intense and tough time and world. They highlight what's wrong with the world, And there's power in this. You can feel the emotion as you read it. In verse 5, it says, My rotting wounds are a witness against me. They are severe and getting worse, reminding me of my failure and folly. I think we've lost the art of lamenting. Don't really know how to do it well. And I speak to myself, as well as everyone else in this room, that we are good at feeling our emotions. In fact, we're a culture that um, amplifies our emotions, we let them direct our lives a little bit, um, and they have quite an influence in the way that we operate. We're good at feeling them. But they're not designed to give us direction, God is. They're designed to make us aware of what's going on. And so what I love about a lament, about the Psalms, it's really significant to notice that they actually, there's a movement in them. There's space to really feel, because we live in this world and it's hard and God knows that. But also, the key in all of the Psalms you'll see in laments, they always end with a confidence in who God is and an asking of him to interact and intervene in the world. It doesn't end in the emotion, it ends with being like, but God, you are who you say you are. I believe that you're going to come. I believe that you want to restore this world and myself included in that. And there's power in doing that. It's an appropriate response to the evil we see in our world. To so not stay in that emotion, but to recognize it and then call God into it. The second category that's in the Psalms, if we're just going to divide them into two, is praise. And so that is the second half of the books of the book, sorry. And that's marked by joy and celebration of who God is and what it is to actually live in this world. To enjoy being alive. To enjoy God's creation, to honor Him and glorify Him. They tell stories of God's goodness and remind us of where He's been throughout history, of His promises, and thanking Him for who He is. And it's actually really interesting. So, book four and five actually have more praise in the end than laments. So, it's balanced out in that way. Although the lamenting is there, it always ends in praise. And each of these, styles are actually infiltrated throughout the five books. It's not actually that black and white, but just so you know, it ends with praise. The last five Psalms are praise of hallelujah. They're beautiful Psalms. And this subtle shift that the Psalms teach us from the lamenting to praise is really important. It teaches us something, something about life and about the nature of prayer. It teaches something about what it is to be human As we hope for a world restored, as we desire to see God's kingdom come, the return of Jesus, the messianic king, which the Psalms encourage us to pray for and declare and believe in, it creates a tension in us because the reality we live in doesn't always feel that way. And so there is space and need to lament, to not ignore this very real part of our lives, yet at the same time to confidently and constantly declare that God is good, that he is coming, that he is at work in our world. That's what we're designed to do. That's how we're designed to use these psalms to bring expression to the world that we live in, to be excited about God's future. And we are actually really privileged to live in the time we do. After the Old Testament, after the New Testament, Jesus has come. And when he came, he says the kingdom is at hand. And so when we speak these things out and declare who God is, we actually get to see a bit of that because it's at hand, it's coming, it's not in its fullness, but we get to witness that and be a part of that. What a privilege we have to be people who can sing of who God is and then see it with our own eyes. Something else that's really powerful that makes the psalms so relatable, 73 of the 150 psalms written, 73 of them are written by King David. That's a lot of psalms. And David's life is such a wonderful representation of both what it means to live in joy, in celebration and in praise, and also in lament, in hardship. His psalms include nearly all three of those things, lament, praise, and confession a lot of the time. This man, if you've read about him, his story is in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. It's a really, really good book to read. There's a lot that happens in it. But if you track what happens to David, it's a pretty intense life to live. First of all, he's forgotten by his own father. He's the youngest of many sons and is the last always. He literally faces giants and kills them. He was hunted down several times by Saul, the king at the time, to be killed. He loses his best friend in battle, Jonathan. He's successful in battles when he becomes king. Yet he also fumbles and struggles with the authority he's been given. Ah, we're good at that. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. Then he murders her husband to cover his tracks. He watches his son die before him. And then he has one of his other sons try to assassinate him. Bit of a rough kind of life did David live. Yet, despite all of this, it's incredible to read his psalms because every psalm that you read of his speaks of this confidence in God. They communicate this really deep and beautiful relationship. God said of David that he was a man after his own heart. And when you read his psalms, you hear that. You feel it and you desire it. I know I do. He encourages us to be vulnerable with God. His psalms are always so raw, so real sharing his fears and failures and offering thanks to God for his forgiveness and redemption. And so many of his psalms articulate the longing to be in God's presence. I actually thought it would be good to sit in one of those as well. So I'm going to get Lee to come up, wherever he is. Yeah. And he's going to read Psalm 51, which is written by David um, just after he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba. again, close your eyes, but really listen to the progression in this psalm and the heart of David and his vulnerability.
4: Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise and may it please you to prosper zion to build up the walls of jerusalem then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous righteous and in burnt offerings offered whole then bulls will be offered on your altar
0: Have I mean, you guys ever felt like that before? The description of what David was talking about, that honest coming before God and being like, "I've done wrong. I don't understand that there could be a way out from this. Father, please forgive me. come close again." I was thinking about this, that David lived in a time... Where well, the temple wasn't actually built yet. He didn't have an opportunity to just go into God's presence. When he was anointed as king, the Holy Spirit came upon him. But the Holy Spirit could be taken away in that time in the Old Testament. And he watched the king before him, Saul. He watched that happen. And the torment that Saul went through when that took place. And so when he comes before God, it's in desperation. God, please don't leave me. Even though I've done wrong, I know you're faithful and good. Please never leave me. It's so easy to identify with him. And again, it's so important and so powerful to think that we get to live in this time. We get to hear the prayers of David. And we get to know, that actually, God's promised his Holy Spirit won't ever leave us. That's not something we have to fear. But we are just like David and we require sometimes to come before God and be like, actually, I'm doing this wrong. Please forgive me. Please lead me in a new way. David trusted God with such radical faith, and that's what we're called to do as well. It's amazing to read the first few parts of the Psalms speak about David and his life. The second part talk about the fall of his kingdom and Israel. And the third part also speaks about the return from exile this progression that happens. And you see that the early Psalms, the way that David communicates his cry and hunger for God is actually replicated in the Psalms after that. It gives voice to the things that we all face. He's hoping and praying for God's kingdom. And the generations after him are praying the same. And the generations after that. And they're the same cries that we have here and now. Yes, Holy Spirit lives within us, and there's a confidence that God is always here, but we want to know more. We want to walk more in His kingdom to see His kingdom come, not just for us, but this world that we live in and we find so hard at times. David's like a prayer coach. He teaches us what it looks like to pray in all circumstances. Maybe you can identify with something that happened in his life. There's a prayer or a psalm written from that space that he was in, of loss, of grief, of joy, of triumph. These prayers, laments and songs are meant to become our own. This is the prayer book of the God of people, people of God, and that's us. Eugene Peterson is known for translating the Bible into the message version, which was a bit more common language. And actually, his heart to do that came from reading the Psalms. That's where he started. He actually only started with a couple of Psalms and changed them into modern language. And from there, he couldn't help but do the rest of the Bible, which is incredible, and it's a wonderful version to read. But he says that I knew that following Jesus could never develop into a long obedience without a deepening life of prayer, and that the Psalms had always been the primary means by which Christians learned to pray everything they lived and live everything they prayed over the long haul. The psalms had always been the primary means by which Christians learned to pray everything they lived and live everything they prayed over the long haul. It's that wonderful mixture. When we pray a psalm, it gives us new vision and new ideas to what life could look like. But not only that, an invitation to start living as if we believe it. an opportunity to stand in that. Eugene goes on to talk about the fact that he translated these psalms because he wanted us to understand the robust and real nature of them, to hear them in our language and to realize that actually they're a bit messy and that's okay. He wanted us to keep praying them here and now, learning to pray everything we experience as we follow Jesus, being more and honest about that. So I wanna ask you, what are you hearing? What have you heard this morning? What is God speaking to you? Because remember there isn't a time where he isn't at work in your life. He's wanting to bring freedom. What is he inviting you into? As we stand at this part of the year, as we enjoy January, We also know that there is a whole year to come. What's going to happen? What is it going to look like? The invitation that we read in Psalm 1 is an opportunity to realize that the good life starts by being people who choose to meditate on God's law day and night. And it is said that the law is rewritten in the Psalms. What does it look like for us to meditate on these things? Perhaps this morning you've heard something in the psalm, something that's articulated a struggle you haven't been able to identify, something that God's saying, bring that to me, cry out to me. Maybe there's an invitation to deeper trust in God, just as God challenged me at the start of this year. Brit, no more listening to those lies. It's time to live in a new reality. Perhaps it's just more confidence in who God is. Or maybe he does want to just bring a new perspective and a new reality, and he's saying, will you live it? Will you be a part of it? We don't actually know what the year's going to look like. We don't know what we're going to face. But what we do know is that we have a faithful God that we can return to at any point. And these psalms bring us back to that. They remind us of who he is, of who we are, who he has been and who he's going to be, so that we can be as it says in someone, 1, a tree that's planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Wouldn't it be great to say, that's what my year's going to look like? And we can say that and be confident in that as we spend time in his word. As we use these prayers and poems and songs to articulate the struggles we have, to communicate our love for Him, to ground us, to bring us back to that stream of water, to know that even in the difficult times, God is good, to declare His kingdom and authority. So, I'm going to give you a practical something to do this week. God may be already speaking to you about something. Maybe you have a word that He's been speaking over you, inviting you to believe in. I want to encourage you to write that like a psalm to write your own psalm. Or perhaps you've heard something this morning, or a psalm came to mind as we were reading them. I encourage you to take that psalm out and sit with it. it. Doesn't have to be daily, but it could be. Or even during the week, to bring that to mind. Another option is to find one of those psalms that you know really well, to listen to it in a different version, or actually to write it in your own words. There's real power when you get to write and down what you believe who God is what you have seen and known him to be in your life so I encourage you to do that this week let's be people that dwell in these words let's grasp them let's hold on to them let them become our own because we are designed to be people who are singing about who God is to be trees that are producing fruit that people may see that in this world and hunger for more of it It's not just for ourselves, it's for the salvation of all. As I was doing this message or thinking about it, I thought I'd ask a few people what it's like or what their favorite Psalms are, just so we can hear what it's like to be a follower of God and what it looks like to embed ourselves in the Psalms. Here are some of the answers I got when I asked some people. Some said that the Psalms give them a broader perspective on who God is and how he's designed us to live and flourish, to know who we are. That's why they read the Psalms. Someone else had a really short answer, but I loved it. Their favorite Psalm was Psalm 23. And they said, the imagery speaks to my soul in this chaotic world. Simple as that. Others said that it communicates, these different Psalms communicate a beautiful intimacy and knowledge that God knows me, and that he's always knowing me, and he has a plan for my life. There's been others who have shared, and this is something I've also experienced, that sometimes when things are really chaotic, when you are struggling and you don't really know where else to go, there's these moments that the psalm actually brings you back to focus. Uh, There have been times when I have been (laughs) full of tears, unknown of what's going on, and found myself repeating Psalm 23 just over and over again. They're so grounding. There's so many ways that the psalm speaks to us. It reminds us that God is always loving, even though we just don't bring much to him. It's always the same response. And some people said that psalms just bring this wonder back into who God is and the world we live in. This is what it's like to live with the psalms, to be people that speak it out and are changed by it. So I want to ask you, what is he inviting you to believe in? What is he inviting you to declare, to proclaim, to walk in, to cry out for? How is he wanting to change your perspective for this year? Inviting you into new realities, things that you can live here and now, because we live in a time where the kingdom is at hand. We're going to take communion now, and if you are visiting with us, how we have communion is uh, we take a cracker and dip it in the juice. um, And then there's space down the front to sit around the table, um, to take that and spend time with God. And I'm just gonna ask Holy Spirit as we do that to speak to us, to make loud the things that he's already said this morning, so that when we go and take communion, it's an opportunity to bring that before God. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here, that you're moving that you're constantly speaking and revealing. I just pray that we would be open to what you want to say this morning. Open our eyes. Give us bigger vision to understand the kingdom, to understand the king, to hunger for more of you. Holy Spirit, come speak.